0: Are you ready for God's Word today? All right. Well, last week was Pentecost Sunday, if you were here with us, and we highlighted uh, Pentecost, and we talked about the Old Testament was the Feast of Pentecost, where they brought Thanksgiving uh, for the harvest that God was going to bring. And there's uh, it was an agricultural Festival, but also there are spiritual correlations to the spiritual harvest through Pentecost that God is going and is bringing. In the New Testament, after Jesus ascended into heaven, He sends His Holy Spirit in a new way on the day of Pentecost. And so we look at uh, Pentecost in a little different light, and there's, at that point, they were... Filled with the Holy Spirit, they received the gift of the Spirit, the promise that the Father had sent. And sometimes we call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, uh, that all happened at Pentecost in the Old, (coughs) excuse me, in the New Testament. And then we look forward uh, to even what God is doing today. Now, at the beginning of the service last week, I asked you a question that I hope you have wrestled with a bit, and we're going to ask you to wrestle with it again. Who is the person in your life who desperately needs the Lord? Can you identify somebody yeah. that it just grieves you that they don't know Jesus? The thought of spending an eternity away from them, uh, they would be in hell, you in heaven, just, uh, just drives you to your knees. Can you think of someone that fits that bill? And the reality is Pentecost will help us to reach that one person. And we're going to revisit the idea of Pentecost today. And uh, it's still Pentecost. Pentecost is not a one Sunday and then we're done. It's not a one-time event and then we go on to something else. Pentecost is day in and day out the Spirit of God at work in each of us uh, as believers. Now, there's a second question I want to ask you that came from our leadership training a few weeks ago when my board and I were on a retreat. This question will haunt us if we let it. Then it will drive us to excellence as well. The question is this. Would our community be, would they miss us as a church if we ceased to exist? Would our community miss the Gateway Church If we cease to exist, if we no longer met together, or if for some reason we didn't make it. And the reason that is an important question, because it answers, are we outward focused? Are we really reaching one more? Each of us reaching one more. Or are we disconnected? Have we become inward focused or apathetic? Those are three realities that can stall a church or an individual in their growth in Christ. I want to show you this graph uh, that we looked at last week. It's been modified, just cleaned up a little bit. Uh, Bonnie did a great job this week uh, working on it. In the uh, upper right-hand corner is the first quadrant, and then it moves to the, kind of to the right and kind of uh, makes its way around. And what's interesting about this is that each of these uh, four areas are, should be represented within the church. And it's a simple view of spiritual growth, and we want to keep that idea hot in front of us. The things to note about this is that we talked about what percentage of people on a regular Sunday morning fit in each of these areas those that are looking for something, those that are pre salvation, those that are infant disciples. That means you've just given your heart to the Lord, or you're just getting started on your journey. How many of us are maturing disciples and, and kind of working uh, at loving the Lord and, and growing in our faith? And then how many of us have reached the point saying, man, I'm in a place of total surrender. I'm giving everything to God. Every breath I take is for the Lord. And that's an interesting place to be. And then the cycle continues. We also noted that in this uh, cycle, there are places that you can get stalled. You can get uh, halted. And uh, it's it's a real danger. On this uh, first part, if you don't get connected, if you become disconnected as an infant disciple, you'll never be mature in your faith. That's the importance of connection groups. That's the importance of a Sunday night live, to be together more than just a Sunday morning. On the same way, if you are a maturing disciple, you say, I love the Lord. I'm even faithful in my tenants, and I'm serving God in some way. If you become inward focused and it, it stops being about other people, you will get stalled in the process. You will not mature to total surrender. And total surrender is a tricky place. I think you can kind of come in and out of it in different seasons of your life where you're saying, God, I am activated by your Holy Spirit to make a difference. And that's our goal is to work people through and then to see that cycle uh, established again. And I would encourage you to kind of identify, say, where do I fit in this? And really wrestle with that. The board and I, we've done this. The staff and I, we've talked about this. And it is interesting when you really take a strong look and look at the indicators in our lives. Look how we spend our time. Look how we spend our money. Where do we fit in this cycle? Now, the area that concerns me most is, we talked last week that we're kind of bottom-heavy as a church um, and uh, we don't have, the area that concerns me is that, that first uh, top right, that seeker category, those that are looking for something. On a regular basis, on a Sunday morning, we have very few people that are away from the Lord that are, that are attending on a regular basis. And I pray that w- it will change here at the Gateway Church, that week in and week out we will see seekers Those that are looking for something find what they're looking for here in the presence of God. And what's interesting is that is probably the area that we're the weakest in, percentage-wise. And um, that is concerning because there are barriers to our growth uh, as an organization. In fact, on this retreat that we were on, we talked about the 200 barrier just so you know, we average right around 200 people on a Sunday morning between the two services, and uh, that's exciting. And then the youth group—they've got a, a whole bunch of youth that come uh, that don't come on Sunday mornings yet, but we're working on them. And uh, but it, but either way, we are uh, kind of we float around this 200 mark. And we talked with our uh, with this coach that came in and worked with us at this retreat, and he said the 200 barrier is the toughest barrier in churches. You have to really explode by it. You have to be very intentional. And what it is, it it's a church going from more of an inward focus to an outward focus that really makes a difference. And what it does, there's a barrier that is uh, that is very, very difficult to understand or to, to kind of come to grips with. And it's the lack of evangelistic growth <laughs> is viewed as biblically unacceptable. All right, let me, let me read that again. The lack of evangelistic growth is not viewed as biblically unacceptable. So what that means is if you go back to that other graph there, Jessica, uh, up on that right side, the fact that we are not seeing people come to know the Lord, that evangelism's happening here at the Gateway Church like we really want it to, That if that is seen as okay, that is a barrier that we've got to break through. And it takes all of us being intentional to break through this and to make the difference, to come to a place saying, all right, I'm not going to be inward focused or I'm going to not um, care, any, or I'm going to start to care I'm not going to be apathetic anymore. And what we have to be is we have to be activated. We have to go uh, be activated to a point of total surrender, saying, God, I want to reach one more and then also reach back to a maturing disciple and bring them to a place of total surrender. And that is what we're trying to champion. And the truth is, in order to accomplish this, we need a fresh encounter of Pentecostal theology. We do. We have got to focus on that. It's not a once and done, like I said before. It's not, I did that when I was younger or when I was a teenager or, you know, at some earlier part of my life, I've checked that box off. Uh, you say, why? It's, well, it's not acceptable to let my neighbors or my loved ones who, not, who don't know the Lord, it's not acceptable just to accept that as a reality. It's not acceptable to grow cold in my faith or to grow ultra slow. We need to be growing and moving around this cycle. It's not acceptable uh, to, uh, to, to do this, to stay as an infant believer. It's not acceptable to be ashamed of the gifts of the Spirit that are at work and can be at work. And the goal is we need to become total surrender, and Pentecost helps us achieve that goal, and that's the neat thing. We said last week that there's two purposes of Pentecost. The first one is a drawing near to the Lord. God, He draws us in, and it's there's an intimacy. There's a closeness a love for Him, a desire. And bottom line, it's a relationship that can be established, and we need that. How many need a good, strong relationship, a drawing near to the Lord? I do too. The second part is ascending out into the world, a passion to witness, a boldness to step out in faith, to not be quiet, to bring up the gospel, to share the power of the gospel. And this is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. The disciples were on the verge of floundering and dissipating. Uh, They were scattered. They went from 500 down to 120 in the upper room. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other tongues. And in every case at that time and throughout the rest of the New Testament, everyone that was filled with the Holy Spirit, they were radically changed for the glory of God. And that's what we want to re-establish. That we have got to be filled and continually be refilled. Now, the idea of Pentecost, I understand it's a huge topic. And it may be a mystery to you. It may be something that is uncomfortable or something that is new information. And depending on your upbringing or your history, you may be more open to the idea or less open. Either way, I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to explore what God has for you. No one's going to force you to do anything. We're not going to twist anybody's arm. We're not going to uh, say, repeat after me, see my tie, see my bow tie, all right? And, uh, <laughs> and maybe you've heard of that before. And really, when we talk about the gift of the Spirit, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit in particular today, um, it, it's really, uh, unless you're a, a, a seeker, um, it's not even a salvation issue at all. Now, last week, we answered the question when we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about why tongues and why the initial physical evidence of tongues. And I've studied um, this subject uh, for years and years. And uh, last week, coming into last week, I had so much notes that I said, man, we've got to revisit this this week. And I feel like I may have done us a little injustice that today's message could have been better served First, and then uh, why tongues after, but I wanted to come back to the idea to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Because we've got to have a baseline that will help us to build from there. Now there are books and volumes and people's life work that revolve around this topic of who the Holy Spirit is. And today certainly won't be comprehensive, but it's going to be a huge step in the right direction. And we're going to look at a lot of verses, and I'm going to encourage you to write these verses down, and then you can go back and read them and reread them and let God work in you. And it's going to create a great foundation for you. And you say, where are we going to start? Well, we're going to start, I want you you to write down in your notes John 16. John 16. Just write it down. You can read it later. We're not going to read it the entire chapter. The interesting thing is that in John 16 alone, there are 12 times that the Holy Spirit is described as a he, a masculine pronoun. He. And what we're saying here is that the first thing to note when we're asked answering the question who is the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. And again in John 16 12 times we see him reflected that way. The second thing to note is John chapter 14 verse 16. So track with me. It just is Jesus talking in John chapter 14 he says I am going to send you another comforter or another counselor that word another it means another of the same kind in other words a person is coming the holy spirit would be sent and it's going to be like jesus not someone different but another one just like me We also know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is given personal characteristics when you read through the Gospels and read through the New Testament. And there are three essential elements of personality that I'd like to discuss to get us going. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit has an intellect. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11 says this. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God it takes personality to know thoughts let me give you an example the music stand that's holding my notes here uh, does not know my thoughts all right it does not remember what i say it's helpful to me it's holding my notes right but it does not have any access to me why it's because this this music stand is not alive (laughs) right i mean it's ultra simple But the Holy Spirit is alive, and the Holy Spirit has access to the thoughts of God, even the deep things of God. He searches our hearts. He has full access to God. Nothing in my life is unknown to the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit plays such a critical role when we come to the Lord in salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us, and we'll see that momentarily. So there's intellect. The second thing you've got to note is that the Holy Spirit has feelings. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The context of this verse is talking within uh, for Christians to avoid sinful behavior. Did you realize that every time you sin, every time you fall short, which happens, we understand that, you are grieving the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit hates that. He wants to bring us back to a place of repentance, a place to walk in God's holiness. And so in that context, he's talking about immorality, he's talking about wrong language, uh, listening to coarse jokes, off-colored stories, watching things, all kinds of different areas. The Holy Spirit has feelings, and we've got to be aware of that. The third thing is the Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, describes the Holy Spirit, says that He gives spiritual gifts to each as He wills or as He determines. He has got thought process and he, he has a will. And so my question to you is, have you asked yourself, what is the will of the Holy Spirit for your life? That's an important question. What is the Holy Spirit's plan for you? And as we study the Holy Spirit today, we also need to move beyond that to say, you know what? The Holy Spirit is not something that's just on the shelf, an idea. The Holy Spirit is at work and He is acting and moving in our lives. When we think of that, we think of the acts of the Holy Spirit. Number one, He testifies. John chapter 15, verse 26. What does He testify of? He testifies of Jesus in His function, in His role. Jesus is to bear witness to the Lord. The Holy Spirit's role is to bear witness. He testifies of who Jesus is. Isn't that cool? The second thing is He teaches us. John 14, 26. What does He teach us? He teaches what Jesus taught. He teaches all things concerning the Lord. And what's cool is the Holy Spirit is what brings things back to our remembrance. The Holy Spirit helps us in that way. He teaches us. The third thing is He convicts us. John 16 six, or eight, uh, eight through 11, He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. In salvation, that's where salvation comes in, but even post-salvation, even once you surrender your life to the Lord, how many know we mess up and there's a convicting spirit saying, man, I need to get my life back right with the Lord? The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us in that. Next, He intercedes. I love this. Romans 8, 26. He is our intercessor. Jesus is in heaven, the Bible describes, and He's interceding on on our behalf. But the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, where does He live? He lives in our hearts, right? And He is described as an intercessor. This means that we are never praying alone. Even if you're praying by yourself, the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are joining in the prayers with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus in heaven. He is and intercessor next he guides us he guides us into all truth john 16 13 this is really a powerful he directs our steps Acts 16 verses 6 and 7 i don't think that's on the notes we see this with the holy spirit directing paul and silas and timothy throughout the old or the new testament we see that in our lives the holy spirit leads us he guides us our every step that's his role and the last one is he reveals, he reveals the word of God to us. First Peter 121, and I know these are a lot of verses to write down. I encourage you to do so. The origin of prophecy or the written word of God does not originate with man. Did you know that? It doesn't originate with man, it is revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. The Holy Spirit does this. And all of these acts are descriptive of a person with intellect and feeling and with will. Isn't that awesome? And the Holy Spirit, He also responds to us in, uh, to personal treatment. And so I want you to track with me a short list here. The Holy Spirit, He can be tested. Acts chapter 5, verse 9, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It was the early church, and the church was growing. They were caring for each other. It said that in that setting, there was no one within their church, within that setting, that had any needs because they would watch out for each other. In fact, it says that some people would sell even their property, bring it, and distribute the wealth, and it was really a powerful picture. Well, that's what was happening in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some property, but they tested the Holy Spirit, They put the Holy Spirit to the test by being dishonest. And they lied. uh, And that's something else you can do. That's the second one. He can lie. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts 5, 3, same story. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit directly. And what happened is, because of that, the enemy tricked Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied. And the the Lord had to deal with that, and the early church uh, suffered because of it. But the Holy Spirit can be tested, can be lied to. He also can be grieved. This is important for you to know. Ephesians 4.30, He can be saddened. The Holy Spirit, he he can uh, when He looks at us, when we sin, when we mess up, He is saddened by the, that fact, and He always wants to bring us back. The next thing is He can be resisted acts chapter 7 verse 51 and we see this uh in stephen he was the first person to give his life for the sake of the gospel uh with the new church the new testament church and uh stephen he stands up and he's sharing uh giving testimony and at the end of his sermon uh he he says to the people there the jews that were there he said you resisted the spirit just as your fathers did and again, you can resist the Holy Spirit. You can feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit and say no. You can resist it. And then the last one, this is scary. You can actually insult the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 29, you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, in other words. And some of you are familiar that there's a, an unforgivable sin. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12, uh, 31 and 32, what that means is that you're refusing to uh, uh, what the Holy Spirit says or testifies about Jesus. In other words, if you see something that God is doing and you say that is not God, that is of the devil or that is of some other force, um, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And now some people get really concerned about that, saying, man, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Well, chances are, number one, you wouldn't be here this morning if you had. Uh, But uh, just so you're aware, if you're asking the question, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, Um, you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you're asking the question, okay, this is a total disregard, saying God, that uh, walking away and saying that something that was of God is not of God, and so you do want to be careful that. But, but you can insult the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to notice is that all five of these things are in a negative light, to be tested, can be lied to, grieved, resisted, and insulted. But there's a positive side to all these as well. You can welcome the Holy Spirit because He's a person, right, and not reject Him. You can praise the Holy Spirit instead of ignoring it. You can love the Holy Spirit instead of resisting, so on and so forth. The point is, He is a person. And we need to come to grips with that, that the Holy Spirit is a person. And He's a person that's different from you and from me. He's not like you and me. He's divine. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. We see that throughout Scripture. I like what Psalm 139 says. That It says, where could I go to escape your spirit? You can't. The Spirit is everywhere. He's fully God, fully man. Uh, the Holy Spirit at work. And he, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of God. He is God. He's the divine God. He's involved in creation. He was brooding over the chaos in the world before creation. I would say he's still brooding over the chaos in our world. And he's involved in regeneration. But he also draws us close to God and gives us a passion for the lost. The Holy Spirit, as a person, uh, is absolutely important in our lives. One more category, the Holy Spirit. He also is revealed through different symbols throughout Scripture. And as you read through Scripture, it's important for you to identify that sometimes the Holy Spirit is described as a wind or a breath. Uh, The ruach is the the, the term that's used. The wind of God, the, the, the wind of the Spirit, and that's the Spirit of God. Another thing is uh, the water. Uh, it, uh, God says, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. There's a refreshing nature to the Holy Spirit. He also is a washing us. We wash or washed with water uh, through the word of God. And there's a cleansing that happens. There's another symbol, the seal of of the Spirit. And that's kind of like pressing a, a letter or, a, la- or a, a document with a seal that uh, kind of embossed in and uh, saying, look, this... This is an approval or in the Holy Spirit, he stamps his ownership on us and says, I seal you. And that's a, a picture of the spirit. There's a picture of a fire being a consuming spirit, a consuming fire or oil that the anointing uh, of, of God uh, comes through the spirit of God. And it's a mark of prophetic approval. And the last symbol that we see in scripture, you may be thinking about this already, is a dove. Right? And it's a picture of gentleness and tenderness and a universal sign of peace. Now, we've taken about probably 15 minutes uh, of our time to look at some of these symbols and look at some descriptions that the Holy Spirit is a person. And we have taken some time to show and describe this, the, the Holy Spirit as this, but it is never sufficient just to talk about the Holy Spirit, or just to describe the Holy Spirit. We must experience the Holy Spirit. Church, I want to encourage you that you have to experience the Spirit. The Spirit will never be known just by reading books. The Spirit will only be known as we call upon Him to indwell in our life and to be empowered in our lives. That's what the Spirit does. And the neat thing is that when the Holy Spirit fills us, we are not the same. The Holy Spirit touches the potential in our lives. Some of you wonder about your potential. You think, man, where is my life going? Or what am I going to do? Listen, the Holy Spirit gives direction. He draws potential forth for the kingdom of God in each of our lives. And by the way, I need this over and over and over and over in my life. I need a new anointing, a fresh touch from God, a new filling. I have not been filled enough, and I'm your pastor, and I would, sub- I would submit that none of us have been filled to capacity. We all can grow, and remember that it's rooted in these two things. The Holy Spirit's indwelling. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a drawing close to God, and then reaching out to the world. Drawing close, reaching out to the world. And I believe that God has capacity to give us more. How many are grateful for that? How many desire more of God? And we have the capacity to receive more with God's help. So we don't want to be a person that just gives lip service to this idea of the Spirit in our lives. We don't want to be Pentecostal just by name only and not experience. We don't want uh, it to be about an event saying, oh, I did this at this time and then never do it again. It's about the purpose of Pentecost. And the purpose of Pentecost, again, is to draw us close to the Lord and then to be sent into the world. Now... I want to put the graph back up, the picture, uh, the simple view of spiritual growth that we are on. Every single person of should find themselves in one of these four categories. Either you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and if that's you, I'm going to give you a chance to surrender in just a moment uh, to receive Christ. You may be an infant Christian, an infant disciple, and then you're moving towards maturing. And you may be here, and you may be in a maturing disciple stage. That means you love the Lord, you're faithful, you're giving, uh, all these things. And then there's a fourth category of total surrender. And as you identify in your life, what would it take to be to a place of total surrender? It's a total surrender saying, God, my life is not my own. And like I said earlier, I almost believe, I think you can go in and out of total surrender at different times of our lives. And there have been times where I've been more committed than others, saying, God, I will, I'll do anything for you. And what happens is we get inward focused. We get full of apathy. But what I want you to see here is that the Holy Spirit is working in every single one of these quadrants. The Holy Spirit's working on that seeker side, right? We see that, where God, the Holy Spirit, is revealing sin, revealing the need for salvation. We get saved and then we move to that next that next category and we say, okay, Holy Spirit, help us here to connect with others in relationship, right? And that's the growing piece where we are connecting together. And then that takes us to the next place where we're growing. And uh, the depths of God, the, the deeper things of God, that maturing disciple. And, uh, and where we're growing there. And then the Holy Spirit is still at work, drawing us, hopefully, to a place of total surrender saying God my life is not my own and it takes some time and when we get to that place of total surrender two things happen we're activated number one to reach around the corner and to get another person saved to reach one more there's a passion unrelenting when you're totally surrendered saying God my life is about one more to reach one more and I'm not sure how many of us could really say we're there Uh, that's that's tough But it's also not only reaching, saying, all right, I'm going to reach one more, but it's reaching back to a maturing disciple and bringing them to a place of total surrender, being a mentor, helping someone along. And with that, this morning, with that idea of activation, I want to challenge us. And the worship team can come, and we want to just set our hearts before the Lord. We've created some time intentionally at the end of the service here to kind of address the, the need for the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as we set our hearts before the Lord, my heart and my prayer for each and every one of us is that we would understand where we are and that God would move us if we're, if we're already moving, that's awesome. But if we've come to a place where we are stalled or we have kind of gone backwards because of apathy or because of inward focus or that we're not connected and we're a lone ranger, that God would reactivate us to get us moving around the corner. And to have to have that happen, we need a fresh touch of Pentecost. We need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to be at work here. I'm going to ask that you would stand this morning, and we're just going to press in here for the next few moments. We're going to set our hearts before the Lord in worship, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a couple things. we got lots of time, so let's just enjoy the presence of God. Let's sing this together. Amen. Come on, let's just press in. Just a little longer. I don't feel like the Lord is done. This is beautiful. We are drawing close to the Lord. God is giving you a heart for the loss that you've never had before. To reach your neighbors, to reach your coworkers, to reach your friends at school. We need this time in his presence. We need this prayer language to be activated in our lives. We need the Lord to be moving among us to bring us to the point where we can step out in faith and share our faith. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray. Oh, Lord, I pray, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Hallelujah. There's two things I'd like to just acknowledge just quickly. The first one is this, that if you're seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just want to take the pressure off, okay? That it is not that uh, that when you speak in tongues, you become better than. Um, it, there is a sense of, uh, of God's Spirit that is amazing that you want to seek and it's worth the pr- pursuit but I want to just say this, that it's the pursuing of Jesus that really matters. And uh, when I was a kids pastor, um, we would pray for kids to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes kids would respond very quickly. And I shared it even last week, my story. I grew up in Pentecost. And so I had heard my grandparents and my parents and my sisters pray in the Spirit, and it was natural, it was easy, and it was, it was just something that just came naturally or came very quickly for me. I've, other, I've watched other people really struggle, and, uh, and, I, and then I've seen people get discouraged, and that, that's the last thing we want to do is to discourage anybody because it's about the pursuit of God. And I know some of you that are here uh, may have been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe a spoken tongue for the first time today, but if it didn't happen today, it could happen on the way home. Or it could happen tonight when, you're hit, when your head hits the pillow and you're just worshiping God, thanking the Lord for the day. And that prayer language, it's a cooperation with your spirit, with the Holy Spirit, to release that prayer language that I believe is inside of each of us. And it's exciting. And it's something that can happen Today it can happen. Next week it can happen at any time. So the pressure's off. The other thing that I wasn't really planning to do uh, first service I was praying and just kind of in the sense of man, we have got to reach one more. We have got to make a difference. My life has got to count for something. To reach one more, right? And there's a tool that we've used, and I it was sitting right here. We give those that give their hearts to the Lord. We give them a little gift, this book, and some of you received it. it. The book is called, How Good is Good Enough? And inside of it, we have a decision card, and we have a, an invitation to get connected. Um, but what what this book is, it's a first step of growing in your faith and acknowledging what the Lord has done. And uh, what it does, is you have to read it all the way to the last couple pages to get to the punchline, um, but it's a, something you can read within one sitting. And I want to just challenge you, if you are interested in reaching somebody in this season of your life to have boldness to do so, this is an easy tool that you can use. And we brought a bunch of uh, copies up here on the front. What you can do, if you're serious, if you will read this, you can read it in one sitting or take a couple of days to read it. And then what it does, it gives you an opportunity to say to somebody, hey, Brian, I read this book and I thought about you. And it really gave me a lot of things to think about. Would you be willing to read this book? And hopefully that opens the door for them to read the book and to make the difference. And it's an evangelistic tool that puts our faith into action. Now, how many think that's pretty awesome? We need that sometimes. We need a little boost. And so we've got lots of copies here. If you're serious, if you will read this and then be thinking about that one person in your life that you could give it to. Um, we d-